Do you want to become a better songwriter? Well, we created a very simple 10-minute songwriter personality test, and it's going to help you better understand who you are as a writer, and it's going to help you in the writer's room when you're writing with other writers, because you're going to be able to identify what kind of writer they are, maybe even have them take the songwriter personality test. If you're curious and you want to take the songwriter personality test today, just visit songwriterpersonalitytest.com or go to the link on the writingworship.co website. You're listening to the Brave Worship Podcast with Chrissy Nordhoff and Mary Beth Dodd. Brave Worship is all about encouraging women to write, lead, and live worship. Hey, everybody. Hey. We're here. We are here. We are super excited to be back with you today, and um, we're going to be sharing our last and an amazing um, series that we've been sharing with you about Ray Hughes. Oh my gosh. And I know I'm definitely getting so excited just to get to be in person with Ray for uh-huh. our Ireland trip coming up next year. Yes. So I absolutely can't wait. Make sure you guys follow to see. We'll be sharing a lot, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And just feedback and yeah. obviously songs. It's one of the funnest pieces, right? Yes. To come out with songs afterwards. And um, it's been really cool to see so many people grab a hold of the songwriting mentorship, too, the last yeah. couple of weeks. Yeah. And we're definitely going to be using that sort of as a springboard because we're going to be teaching it when we go to Ireland. Mm-hmm. So the last four days, we're planning on um, just pouring into the community there, the pastors and the writers. So I'm really excited about that piece. And um, Ray sort of reminds us of one of me, of one of our grandfathers, Grandpa Pei. Really? Yeah. Does he have tattoos? No tattoos. He has a mustache. (laughs) Does he have boots? Yeah, I think. Does he have boots? boots? No, no, I don't think so. I don't think I ever saw our grandpa without cowboy boots. That's true. He was so smart. I should be wearing. No flip-flops. Just cowboy boots. <laughs> For everything. Did he ever go swimming? I or never the, saw him go swim swimming in once. The cowboy boots? I never saw it once. <laughs> never. But he has Grandpa Rapay's perfume or something. Not perfume. Cologne, <laughs> aftershave, like the same brand. It's got to be like. Barbasol? My, <laughs> that's shaving cream. <laughs> oh, okay. That's shaving well, cream. That's cool. But that's yeah. Really cool. Yeah. And um, I think our grandpa loved history too. For sure. And he was super smart. He read a ton, ton of books and could tell you lots of facts and figures. So maybe that's kind of the similar thing that reminds me of him, but that's cool. very endearing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So we can't wait to get to this next episode and, and share with you guys. If you want to learn more about Ray, um, you can visit him on YouTube I should also mention that he makes these pens, and when he was um, with us that night, he shared a little bit about those near the end, and I'm not sure if it's actually going to be recorded on here or not, but um, let me see if I can find his website here. He, uh, Well, actually, you can go to pennywhistletravel.com. That's sort of their um, site where you can learn about the trips. They take tons of trips, and anybody can sign up for a trip with them. Um, I'm trying to remember where you can get his pens. I'm sure you can find it from there. But he creates these pens out of wood from really significant places. So um, 
one of his favorite trees that he has in his wood shop is from the Red River Revival House in Kentucky. And um and you'll probably hear he shares just a little bit about how he's he's studied that. He's totally brought people up there, busloads of people and taught them about what happened the revival up there in Kentucky, only to find out a couple weeks ago when he was over in England that that was actually one of his you know, several back grandfathers that preached that revival. You're kidding me. No, and he's been making pens from that tree from years. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that cool? Lots of connections. So I went ahead and ordered my pen this time. Um, I ordered a Celtic style pen and um, with some special wood from the Covenanters over there in Scotland, which I think we shared that story before. Mm So, um, but anyways, check out his pens. He's got books. He has, um, teachings online. You can listen to him teaching. Um, and then they have trips. So if you want to get connected that way, you can too. I love it. Enjoy guys. From 1941 to 1945, more than 600,000, uh, soldiers participated in middle, middle Tennessee war games. 600,000 soldiers. Cause what, what they were doing is they were preparing for, uh, world war two. You know, there was technically, there was no world war one. They didn't call it world war one. That would have been crazy. Wouldn't it? <laughs> world war, does that mean we're planning another one? <laughs> uh, but they just called it the great war to end all wars. But it turned out that it wasn't the end. And then when the next one comes along, that will shake and shape the whole world. 600,000 soldiers did their maneuvers and training in Middle Tennessee. That's why you have Camp Campbell and there was a Camp Forest and the Smyrna Air Base. Nashville was, of course, the largest city at the time. And the first Presbyterian church downtown housed 14,000 soldiers in its lounge. There was a restaurant on Church Street that was called, named the Mecca. And it was named by uh, the uh, uh, the Bounce. There's another one called the Bounce. That's an 81st Division newspaper that they had. What, what made this... What made this kind of amazing was Nashville grew accustomed to B-17, uh, the very first B-17s, the first four-engined planes were here because this is where they were training the soldiers and the warriors that would go all over the world. Now, I want you to just capture that in your heart here for a minute. This was a play, a a training for, for, for battle. And in those those that trained for battle here, and by the way, I used to live out in, in a little place called Noreen, Tennessee. We moved there years ago, raised our kids out there outside of Lebanon, Tennessee. And uh, we moved on to that farm and raised our kids there, and we had been there about a year, and the old folks come over and said, have you found any war relics? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, why, why would you ask? We got 20 acres, and I was raising horses and crops and you know, stuff. And he, I said, matter of fact, I have some, found a bunch of stuff. He said, "Well, you know, this is where uh, this is where uh, 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 Sherman uh, ha- had his folks here in Sherman's days." And he said, "And he said, but you ain't gonna find none of that. Probably you might find some bullets." 
And he says, but all that war stuff you're finding, he says, that's from uh, Patton. So on our farm, what they did is that one side of the road was the Red Army, one side was blue, and across this valley is where they did all their war maneuvers for the, the fronts over over there. T- Middle Tennessee has those places everywhere. It's a training of warriors. There's a facility on Thompson Lane that was used to classify pilots. Here are the people that were classified here, pilots, bombardiers, and navigators. How many navigators we got in this room? And how many are carrying missiles? And how many are carrying ministries that are that are created to change the world? Going out of your training here, this is not a ri- the place of arrival. This is a place, and it, it was even declared that, that from the stage of the Grand Ole Opry, they went all over the world. At any weekend in Nashville, there could be up to two hundred thousand soldiers doing their R&R in the city of Nashville, and most of all that downtown area was formed to accommodate all of the soldiers that would come here. And what they would do is they would tell their mamas, yes, I'm going to Nashville. Well, you better make sure that you go to the Grand Ole Opry and holler real loud so we can hear you on the radio. (laughs) And that Grand Ole Opry became the musical. And guess what would happen? Every one of them that would come here and had a song in them, they'd wind up at a pawn shop buying a guitar so they could sound like Roy, Roy Acuff or, or whoever. And so from here, that those guitars and those music and those sound and the songs became their connection to home while they were over on the other side. So that's how it, how it exploded and expanded. But our, uh, Nashville Municipal Auditorium, or which is called Barry Field, was leased by the army for one dollar a year, and there was a twentieth ferry group to ferry soldiers to battle from Europe. This is the biggest send out of anywhere in America. All the other big cities and all this, but here's 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 what made this one Nashville area made it possible for the U.S. Army to conduct the most systematic study of arts. God bless you guys. Uh, so glad you came. Hope I get to meet you again, my friend. All right, take that beautiful little guy and squeeze him real good. His name is Brave. His name is Brave. <laughs> awesome. Uh, oh man, I want I wanted to talk about the Fisk Jubilee Singers while he was here. But the Fisk Jubilee Singers. Anybody ever heard of them? See that was 18, 1871 was just post slave days. Civil War's over. Right, 1866, they start Fisk University. But Fisk University was the first black university to uh, to access the intellect of the, this wonderful people that had been held captive by the demon slavery. I could talk about that a long time, but you just need to know, I don't think that was racism. I think it was demonism, de- mm-hmm. demonic. Mm-hmm. And, and But now they start a university in the Athens of the South for black folks to explore their intellectual prowess that they were born for. Awesome. But then they realized that nobody really understood the, the Southern black man or woman. All the intellectuals of the North, they had their understanding of black culture based upon what happened in the North, but the South was a very foreign thing to them. And so what happened is after the Civil War, the Fisk Jubilee Singers, nine incredible voices, began to tour. And you know what, you know what their tour was? They were going to travel the Underground Railroad and sing. Wow. Isn't that awesome? Wow. So now they're going to all the places, the stations of the Underground Railroad, and they're doing concerts. Wow. 
And, they, and from their, their, their funds, from their concert, what would they do? They would send it back to the college to try to find, help finance the university. Wow. Uh, now, later, later, after it got its steam going, there were some real benevolent people really helped it happen. Uh, one of them was Sam Jones. Mm-hmm. Wow. Sam Jones turned out to be one of the most wealthy men in America. Uh-huh. Nobody really knew that. And I've gone through all of his personal records and see all of those young students that he sent to to, to Fisk University. Wow. Was it from his law when he was a lawyer? No. He became the most sought-after speaker in America, and they would take these huge offers. He had, and, and when he, he preached in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, every saloon in town closed down. The whole town was in revival. Every saloon was closed. One of the biggest revivals in Middle Tennessee. And you know what? At the end of the revival, because all the saloons had closed, Sam gave all of the offerings to the saloon keepers who would now be out of work and couldn't feed their families. You don't hear about that. We hear about cursing the the demon rum and all this kind of stuff. But but no, that's a whole different breed there. It wasn't some kind of victory to win against drink. It was, wait a minute. It was love. It was a whole lot better than winning some political strivings over all the stuff that we're fussing about today. How in the world can we show the love of God? And that's what he, he, he was about. Oh, but I was telling you about, so they go on this tour. And you know why they're called Jubilee Singers? This Jubilee Singers. Because in Israel, Jubilee is when they set their slaves free. So it's called this Jubilee Singers. Because every 50 years when Jubilee comes to Israel, all slaves, are, all debts are canceled and they're mm-hmm. set free. And But with these Fisk Jubilee singers, they're raising this money. In 1871, the Chicago fire breaks out mm-hmm. and they take all their money to help those victims of the fire mm-hmm. in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And because D.L. Moody was aware of that, remember D.L. Moody was, mm-hmm. Chicago was D.L. Moody's town. Mm-hmm. And after rebuilding everything and then D.L. Moody in 1873, he's in Edinburgh. What? And when he's preaching in Edinburgh, that is when, who was it, Amanda, that was doing the thing about Horatio Spafford? I told you the story when Horatio Spafford, it is well with my soul. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Horatio and his wife were on the way to meet with D.L. Moody and those guys in Edinburgh. That's where they were going. When the boat went down and the song was born. But what's going on in Edinburgh at the time? D.L. Moody is preaching and they have Genuine Negroes. They were called genuine Negroes because they're already on all the riverboats and everything. That had they would take cork and burn it over a lantern and, and turn it black. And blackface minstrels were with their sarcasm and, and comedic approach to trying to bring the songs, the sand songs, to the culture because they're so engaging. But now. They got genuine Negroes coming and singing the song, and that's how it was. That's how it was written. And this Jubilee Singers press release going out, they would be genuine Negroes. Wow. But they would get there and they, but they and they wouldn't sing the old spirituals at first because they were sacred to their parents who had mm-hmm. sung those songs in days of slavery. Mm-hmm. But they became convinced that it would be okay. Because that would be revealing the fact that they had come out of that slavery and this is the songs that brought them out. Wow. Are the songs we writing, is it announcing freedom to people? Wow. Are we really carrying a freeing release yeah. 
for people out of the bondage of sin and slavery. Uh, I think there's a grace coming to our generation that's going to do exactly that. We're not going to win people to Jesus with sale jobs. They're already knuckleheads and they're not going to listen. But when they experience the gospel, and experience the presence of God and the power of God, now that's a song. And that'll break the chains of sin and bondage off of people's lives. But anyway, that's a little bit of the Fisk Jubilee Singers thing, but they only lasted about seven years because in the north where they went to sing and do all these concerts to raise money to send back, they would wind up being jeered off the stages. Wow. They would wind up being, um, um, they couldn't get hotels anywhere. Mm. Uh, they were starving to death. They were having to beg for food and then go sing on these stages, but yet completely, you know, disrespected and all this kind of stuff. But when they went to England, went to Scotland, D.L. Moody says, you'll not suffer that kind of thing anymore. And he started creating platforms and began to celebrate and honor them in such a way that everything changed when they find themselves singing before the queen. Mm-hmm. And and so these folks singing before the queen had so much music and life in them that when they sung before the queen, she asked the question, why you must be from Music City, USA. Oh, wow. You must be from the most musical city in the world. Mm-hmm. Where do these... Where do you get that kind of song and power and beauty? And they were. They were these nine powerful singers. And that is where the term comes from, Music City USA. And once the Queen of England had acknowledged the greatness of what they were carrying, their life began to change pretty dramatically, and so did the university, and so did the future. And 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 it was kind of lost in history until about 100 years later, until some rattle-headed DJ gets on the radio one day. Welcome to the Music City, USA, Guitar Town. Mm-hmm. And, he, and that phrase in the 60s came back and began to be coined again. But that was, a, that was <coughs> 1960s. But let's jump back here. 1860s, when all of that tension was going on on this land for song, there were four nuns from Somerset, Ohio, show up in a covered wagon and look at this ravaged place, suffer more. And these four nuns stand on a hill over here and look out across the the the, the, the skyscrape. What am I calling it? Horizon. 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 <laughs> There's a skateboard too. What is it? Landscape. Landscape. Yeah. Landscape. <laughs> look across yeah. Nashville. Is what they did. <laughs> <laughs> and when they looked out across the horizon and saw Nashville, and it's pretty, pretty, still pretty primitive in some ways, but they stood there and they prayed a prayer. And dedicated as far as we can see to arts and entertainment. And they dedicated that day. And they established, drove a stake in the ground and said, this is where St. Cecilia's will be. And St. Cecilia, the patron saint of art, music and arts and creativity, was was prophesied, if you will. And and prophesied, and, and, and now the patron saint Cecilia, which is also... The name of the very first uh, music society in in America, but that was all way, way down in Charleston. Uh, but you see that th- those are a lot of the things that were kind of put in place that became knowings that people would live their lives around. You know, the, and the river songs and the, and there's a bazillion amazing stories that come out of that river culture and the music that would come down and the instruments that would come down and, and so on all the way up. 
all the way up to John Hartford, if you know who John Hartford is. Anybody know who John Hartford is? Oh, man. Okay. Uh, but anyway, he was, he was a riverboat. Uh, he was a riverboat captain and a minstrel. Yeah, it's just knowing that the door's always opening. You know that song? Okay. That was it. Uh, I forget how old I am sometimes. Uh, but anyway, Nashville made it possible. Uh, uh, okay, let me just go right to the thing here, and let's just finish finish it up. Out of this city came the the first flying fortresses in days of war. Think about that term, a flying fortress. The first, um, the first, the very first uh, major installation for training pilots and mechanics for the B-17s were here. And that was the Flying Fortress and the B-24. So they, what they put into the air from this place militarily was the Flying Fortresses and the Liberators. And they were training the fl- people of the Flying Fortress and the Liberators for their missions to Europe. And the first synthetic tires were made here. The first radio radio operators in the world trained here. They're, they're, we didn't have those technologies. So communication. Later in Korea, the personnel from this base, they flew millions of miles and those on those other fronts, dropping medical supplies, airborne infantry, and the very first manned helicopters from any war situation were made here. There was no such thing as a helicopter. What is this crazy helicopter thing? And what was it for? It was for pull, pulling the fallen soldiers and the wounded out of the battle, and they brought them back, and they and here is where they would be healed. When you start looking at all the ones that don't get healed here, and the ones that are supposed to fly those missions of word and truth and sound and song, and that's what the town is about. Uh, uh, the, those helicopters for evacuating the wounded. Uh, the uh, there's a I don't know. Well, I've, I've got so so many things about Nashville. I I, I just let's just uh, is, are there any questions? Anything I left hanging anywhere before we pray? Right. Yes, Where, ma'am. Is Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I should have brought everybody one. I'll figure out. I'll figure out how to get everybody a documentary. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like I forget. It's like a ninety minute or sixty. I don't know. I did it, but I couldn't tell you. It's been a bunch of years, and so I look a whole lot younger then. But, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure y'all y- y'all get that. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, anything else? question um, yeah. i know the same jones thing that's such a powerful testimony um so specific to nashville like what was it because sam jones kind of led you like what you found out about him to nashville or to really no i became i came here as a songwriter in 1971 okay yeah the first time i was here was 1971 and uh, i had an encounter i know it was an encounter with the lord but i had an encounter with the lord at belmont college in a concert Chris Christopherson and Joe South and and um, I forget who all was there. Uh, Jerry Reed had a big hit at the time, and Christopherson was the, the headliner. And uh, 
first uh, Joe South came out and the sound was bad and it almost turned into a fist fight and there's people heckling and he was he was high and it turned out to be a really bad uh, moment for thousands of people. It was a March of Dimes concert, benefit concert. And then uh, after that, Jerry Reed comes out and blows the place away, if you know who Jerry Reed is, you know. Uh, great guitar player and became a Hollywood actor, like Chris did, actually. But Jerry Reed had, you know, Amos Moses was a Cajun and he lived by himself in a swamp and hunted alligators for a living and knock him in the head and stomp. And he's this real funky country, crazy yeah. guitar player. And he was the guy on, uh, on, uh, the, what's the movie? Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah, and the Bandit. <laughs> he was the truck, he was the truck driver on Smokey and the Bandit, okay? okay? But he was an amazing guitar player and singer and entertainer. So he comes out and he blows the place away. And then Ralph Emery, who's hosting the show, he comes out and he says, ladies, what are you going to do? Intermission. After intermission. Did I ever tell you all this story? I thought I might have told you on the bus or something. But then at the end of intermission, uh, uh, Ralph Emery, the host, walks out and says, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to start this second set with someone who... May not need an introduction to some of you, but many people don't know who he is. He's a bit bashful and he's a bit nervous standing back here. Uh, but we're going to bring him on out and, and uh, he's going to do a few songs. And he says, uh, the singer's singer and the songwriter's songwriter. He says, please welcome Mickey Newberry. And Mickey Newberry walks out and sits down. And my life changed. And I realized not until about a year ago because I've carried this journey for so much of my life, honoring what happened in my life that God awakened because of his song. And I, I always want to be honoring to that. But I realized about a year ago, two years ago maybe, that that must have been a little bit what Samuel was talking about. And he said, Saul, you'll run into some musicians, and when they play, you'll never be the same person again. You will be changed into another person. And he was carrying such a prophetic and poetic depth and a voice. And now if you listen to his stuff today, guys, you're not going to be impressed probably just because the technology and stylistically it may not be a thing and do anything for you. But the, but, the, but the depth of soul and the beauty of poetry that he moved in. I was a 16-year-old boy that sat there in 10 minutes and became a songwriter. And, uh, and so, and, and 30, whatever years, 20 some years later, mm-hmm. uh, on his deathbed, he called me. And, uh, and I got to go be a part of, uh, you know, we, anyway, I got to be a part of his life and, mm-hmm. and got to, um, but anyway, that's what brought me to Nashville. I, I came to Nashville of, officially as a songwriter with a deal and all that in late 77, early 78. And uh, then, uh, so that's what brought us to Nashville. But it but it was more than that that brought us to Nashville, and I know that now, you know. Because then later I became a, a pastor at a church that were 84% musicians because, because God did something in my life that, you know, and I, I start suddenly. I became called to do a lot of people's funerals and weddings, and I was marrying pickers and and, and burying legends, and um, and that's when the Lord opened all these people up into our lives, and and so I tried to honor that as best I could, and, and help them work through their creative 
clutter. The church that you became a pastor of that was 84% musicians, was that church, was Dan DeMay at that church? Was yes, he like was. Dots with Tanya over here. Yes, okay. he was. He sure was. Dan, Dan was... Who? West. Yes, Kenna West was our married Kenna and, and, and Carrie. Sure Dan did. actually performed at Tanya's Blessings in the barn and, and prayed oh, that night. Oh, that wow. Oh, yeah, wow. You know, Denise, I, I, I flew all the way back. Uh, I flew all the way back from out of town to, to try to show up there and just kind of surprise and all of us have a big hug. And uh, and uh, and my flight wound up being delayed, and I couldn't get back into town. And I'm sitting in an airport, thinking, you know, I just I wanted to be there so bad, but couldn't make it. Yeah, and I was a little concerned about not having tickets, but I was, but also I I thought I maybe would do an Elvis impression, and they'd let me in. <laughs> I knew it was going to be full, but we were sure wanted to be there. Thank you. Yeah. Ray, with you sharing everything you shared tonight, I can't help. I don't know if that was coincidence or if you planned him being here at the same time as prayer events going mm-hmm. on yeah. at Michael W. Smith. Mm-hmm. I wonder that too. And it, it, I just can't help but see how the Lord is orchestrating oh, this and hopefully mm-hmm. awakening uh-huh. something in all of us. But one thing I'm thinking of in particular is you sharing the history of Nashville. That has really stirred something in me tonight. And I think about we're living in an age where people keep trying to erase the past. And some of the past is hard. Mm-hmm. But if we don't learn from the hard stuff, what will we do? Yeah. You know, it was hard. Yep. But it was also a time of great beauty. And yeah. you see how God's hand was on our city. And we can't forget that. I think that yes, where we come from, yeah. we build upon that. And so we can't just erase it. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. We shouldn't. We need to learn from it. Yeah. And we got to show, and we got to, when we erase that dark stuff, you know what we're erasing? We're erasing the knowings of God's ability to raise up us yeah, out of yeah. the, that stuff. Yeah. Well, like you said, adversity creates destiny. And yeah. So all that adversity is yeah. Yeah. is moving it to a new level yeah. of his destiny. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to get that piece of work that you, um, Mansfield and Vinto, and you did? Is that still out there anywhere? I, I don't know of any. I got three copies or something. Uh, uh, you know. I got about three or four copies in my library, mm-hmm. and we ought we ought to run Stephen down to say, hey, you know, I've got to, or you know what we ought to do? I'll, I'll get a hold of Stephen and get permission for uh, for us to just run photocopies of it or something, so you have it for mm-hmm. for prayer and for for you that are really called to mm-hmm. to to pioneer something here in the spirit. Man, we, mm-hmm. it needs to happen now. It mm-hmm. needs to be a part of what's going on here this week, even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, because this is a city that's, to me, even the few years that I've been here since '05, but and followed it, you know, as long as he was here when you were living on that farm and all that many years ago. But this is a city that I've watched, and I wasn't even as up close as I've been in the last, you know, 15, 18 years. But it's lost its identity. It's lost. Yeah. And so I'm thinking tonight as you're sharing, it's like amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And we say, I was lost, but I'm found. That can happen to a person. It can happen to a city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can happen. That yeah. identity can be, but it's got to be the grace on the people because there's people that have plowed and plowed and plowed mm-hmm. and believed. Yes. And so God uses people in different seasons of their life and the grace that's on people to carry that forth and to call forth that uh, identity back into a place. And that's genuine 
identity mm -hmm. of what's really here, not something with a painted face acting like it mm -hmm. is. You know what I've thought about doing? I've thought about, and, and you know, we're just we're friends and family sitting around here, so let's chat a minute. I've thought about. Uh, you know how I do the, the historical tours in Scotland and Ireland and yeah. Wales? Why don't we do them in Nashville? Yes. Yes. You know? yes. And I, I've got a friend, I've got a friend, you know, uh, 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 the, the Headens, you know, got the bus company over here. Uh, y'all, do y'all know the Headens? You know? Okay. Betsy Hedden. Okay. But anyway, I've got a friend that owns a carpenter bus company over here. And, uh, and years ago, I loaded a bus load at the foundry and took everybody around and did, you know, right here is where, uh, you know, D. Ford Bailey played the harmonica. Right here is where, you know, Sam Jones preached right here. Right here is where Sam and Tom uh, did this. Mm -hmm. And here's where Tom, see, Tom Ryman's old house is not even here anymore. It burned down. Oh, wow. And, but there's an empty lot there set up on 2nd Avenue where that radio station is, that tower overlooking the river. I mean, but anyway, there's thousands of stories mm -hmm. that, are going completely away. Mm. And if we could figure out some kind of way that every time a songwriter comes to town, I did mm. I did one of these years ago. Every songwriter that comes to the union, I should have a video that tells them the story of Nashville. Yes. Mm. You know, we, we don't need to be waiting for other people to try to tell them that, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of outlets, I think, that need to be accessed. And I'm not talking about money-making thing. If it makes money, great. But if we if we produce it where every songwriter that comes here at least gets to learn and know and hear the stories and hear the history. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I know people who've lived here all their life and never heard of Sam yeah. Jones. Yeah. Never never knew that the rhyming at one time was Union Gospel Tabernacle. Didn't, wow. Don't know those stories. I was surprised stories. to find it on their website when I was fact-checking you when I first met you. I was like, who is this guy? Yeah, what's, <laughs> who's this knucklehead? <laughs> oh, it's right there. It's the whole history. Yeah. So you're, you're validated. Right. You're verified. Uh, thank you, Jed's mom. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, what a different, I mean, musical marketplace way for you to weave back in the city as opposed to just coming to the church to bring it and things like, I don't I mean, like I said, whether it's money making or whatever, but the convention, like grants and different things that come from learning mm -hmm. and things like that, schools and systems and school kids, uh, even the stuff that the... Uh, mm -hmm. I think Jeff works with some of the people and people that are training the young people now in that arts musical school that's downtown to even let that be part of an understanding here. If if if, if I could do it in a in a historically accurate, entertaining, uh, storytelling, whatever. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm not talking about big budget stuff. We don't have to create some some sort of monster that will devour you. It may just be as much as you know. I don't know. I mean, could, to, with all the technologies we have today, I mean, couldn't we do it on sort of a, you know? I think we, what I kept seeing or hearing from you was like, I, we've almost lost this art of storytelling and listening to storytellers. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like our attention spans aren't... We're a soundbite world. Kids, <laughs> and it's just really refreshing to just... All of us just be captivated by the stories. Mm -hmm. Well, really um, we, uh, we, you know, y'all pray that I have the grace to figure out how to get all of that done. You know? I mean, I'm not getting any younger, and I, I'm, you know, I mean, I ain't, I ain't buying any green bananas anymore. You know, 
If I got 20 years left, this is what, that's the kind of stuff we yeah. need to be doing, you know? Instead of just flying around churches all over the world. Yeah. This is this would be far more valuable to the kingdom, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. what you're doing in I mean it's, it's the same thing you're doing in Scotland and Ireland. You're reminding people of the stories. But yeah, you're giving identity to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. that's this is where they come to sing the songs from those lands. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, like part of the thing I love yeah. is like how God has weaved me into a story. And so I tell my kids how they were woven into our family. And I feel like when you tell the history of Nashville, you're weaving that in. And I feel like that's an antidote to one of the things that you had said. You come here with purpose and with destiny, and then you get caught up in fame. Like, if, if that history yeah. is, is told and how they're woven into that, maybe that could be an antidote to be. Yeah. Yeah, yes, because it brings hope yeah. and encouragement yeah. to somebody when the dreams die, yeah. even if they don't know the Lord yet. Hearing that will make them seem part of a bigger picture, which will be hope and encouraging because then it's in context that they're connected because everybody's looking for a connection, but not polished because they're connected to somebody's website. And I know so-and-so it's a different kind of connection that we're all searching for anyway. Connection to the ground, the earth, the the story. Is a reconnection to true identity, is it always rooted in past or history or is it ever... Um, that God is changing an identity into something new also. Is it both and? or um, Like I just think of Nashville losing its identity. Well, who is it really? Will it be anchored to the past, or is God doing something new thing? Mm-hmm. Um, the answer to the question is yes. <laughs> yeah. Because for some... For some, I might I might be carrying seven generations of brokenness and darkness and pain. When I come into redemption and, and restoration, I'm redeeming something that I'm bringing. And uh, and for some, it, it, and even okay, let's keep it applied to the city. Yes, but there is a new day. But I call it a new. Uh, there's a new sound, a new a new a new day, a new sound, a new song, a new language. And see, right now, we're because what we do is when we're born, like a city is, but when we're born, we we absorb, uh, we absorb language. We absorb. We are born and baptized into a language pool when we're born, and we absorb uh, culture. We absorb gestures. Some of the things that I say, I say because I'm from Kentucky. And and I absorb that culture, and I absorb those man- mannerisms, and uh, the way I think comes from what I absorbed in my bloodline from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. But I've also, when you're called to the nations or whatever, you will rise up out of that and carry the beauty of that. Mm-hmm. You don't kill everything that made you the unique you. Mm-hmm. And what this town wants to do is bring everybody here and allow their the, the this this basin, this salt lick, this. Cumberland Basin is not a hole for dreams to die in. And and for all of those that come here and dream until they're dead, they, they get caught in the cycle of dream and doubt, dream and doubt, dream and doubt. And what we've got to do is we got to let those dreamers break the doubt because they're carrying something kingdom that is married to the purposes that have been aborted over the years and created fame instead of greatness. And, the, and there's a lot of folks here that are carrying greatness, but they never get to never get to experience it. You know, Mark Twain said it like this. He said, 
two most important days in a man's life is the day he's born and the day he finds out why. And the, if the why is perverted, they'll never know. And we keep creating systems like, for example, we, you know, the institutions of higher learning are not even about education anymore. They're about indoctrination. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so there's a lot of those little things. And who's going to change it? The ones that, the ones that have access to the heart. So that's why the creatives have got to rise up. And I think it's connected to past, present, and future. Because he's the was, is, and is to come. And there's no way you can seg- you, you can't compartmentalize it necessarily. Now, for our conversations, we can. because But I think we never lose sight of tomorrow by, by becoming addicted to the past. We bring it forward. Yeah. Yes. Um, there is a story you were sharing, and I can't shake it. When there was preaching, you talked about the prostitutes then going into the choir. And I feel like what God is impressing on my heart is there's a great redemption coming to Nashville for all the people that think they're stuck in one area that God wants to take them and say, you've never dreamed. You thought you were going to be stuck in this abuse, in this relationship, but you're actually meant to sing in the choir. A returning of the true identity. And um, it was like... I can almost see this person's face. Like, I hear their name. It's like, Hannah, I can see her. One day, in surface, to giving herself away, and the next, singing like she never dreamed was possible in a choir. Um, And if that just, I don't really know what that means, but while you're telling that story, it was like I was almost there. And I can see the redemption happen. Wow. Mm-hmm. And and how many have prostituted themselves to this town? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, as you were telling that story too, um, wow. we were talking about our house earlier, and um, it's got a lot of old things in it. And um, mm-hmm. we have a painting in our house that Deanne and the factory, that the artist in the factory, painted for us, and it's about five feet tall. And it's a metal, it's a, and it used to be a brothel sign. Mm-hmm. And it's turned this way on our wall, and she painted a giant angel on it. Mm-hmm. And when, as you were telling that story, I was thinking wow. about that. Like, I wonder what brothel that sign was from, if it was from one of those brothels that yeah. you were talking about. Because when I, wow. I even put a little video of it on my Instagram the other day, because I was like, I want, it's the story behind this that I love, you know, because it's like this sign has been born again with this angel on top of it. But where has it been? You know, what, oh, the things that that sign has seen, that brothel sign. And now it's got an angel on it and it's hanging in our house. You know, like I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, I was sitting right there, right next to you. um, When I heard the Lord tell me, and and I didn't sh- I I haven't really shared it, you know, loudly. But I just heard him tell me there's a spirit of prostitution on this city, oh, wow. and that's what you said. It's basically people like um, giving themselves away for yeah. money or fame, mm-hmm. yeah. giving their talents away, or um, becoming a fake body part, basically in the body of Christ. Wow! Mm-hmm. Wow! Um, yeah. Manifesting as a fake. 
body part not being the real part that God made them to be. Yeah. Um, and so I've, I've felt that too. Wow. Yeah. You know, when, when radio began in the 20s, what began to lure and draw everybody here is because this town was singing their song. Uh, you know, and even back in the 60s, 70s, the, the state theme was, come to Tennessee, we're singing your song. It was a little thing. Yeah, I mean, I remember that. But they were always, it was about the song. And the reason people could, would come many times is because the only identity that they knew they could ever had had been invited by somebody that sounded like them. And so how many times have you heard a song? And said, I should have wrote that song. I should have written that song. That is my expert, that's that is, and and so writing is writing songs that awaken that identity. I identify with that, and the way it happened in those days was is all these old folks from Scotland, Ireland, and Wales are sitting on the porch somewhere in the holler, and now Battery Radio comes in in the twenties, and they hear Hawkshaw Hawkins and Patsy Cline and Randy Wood and all these people singing these songs. Well, you know what? I, I that's us. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, these hillbillies isolated and hidden away. Bristol recordings was all about. Nobody ever heard of the Carter family. Nobody. Mm-hmm. And they showed up there at a furniture store. And they turned the microphone on, and the, and the world started to change. Well, everybody else had heard that that was them. Wow. Nashville then started to become that magnetism and bringing them into this Cumberland base. Right down the rivers, they would come. Mm-hmm. And... Right now, there are streams all over the world that people are finding because because we have the technologies. But, but you're right. And and my, my friend, my, what's your name, brother? Uh, Josh. Josh. What we see, what you're seeing and hearing is there. Our mechanisms are set out there to lure people into that compromise of heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, let's see, a lot of folks will get on some soapbox and start preaching against anybody that wants to sing now because they're. Motives are impure. They got identity crisis, or they want to be famous, or they want to be. But there are some that God wants to bring here that are carrying something so profoundly powerful that they can change the world by what they carry, without fame being an issue, and awaken the, the real greatness of God in their life. And that's what. We, and so, if we're talking about praying, that's the kind of stuff we got to be praying for, and we got to break this delusion. Uh, 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 off of those that, that just simply their dreams are poison. And we got to be careful also in our own hearts. Let's don't get so introspective that we shut down though and we lose our song. We can do that too. You can, you can overdo that. But we've got to find those places in God where we open our mouth and it is, it is the lyric of heaven, uh, that comes. And there's, and, and we, and part of that is just, you know, many of the songs that David wrote well, to the chief musician called Maskill, it wasn't about a tone. It was about a teaching. So you teach the Word of God in such a way that, that if I teach you, the, if I teach the Word of God correctly, you are going to write a song about it. Mm-hmm. Every, in David's day, that's what they would do. When seven times a day they would get the voice of the Lord, well, it will always awaken a song. Mm-hmm. Now, where are the truths that are and I don't want to be uh, unkind, but our truths have got to become more powerful and profound and more vibrant and radiant. Our imagery, our melodies have got to carry something that arrests the heart. 
You know, so all of these things that you're giving your heart to, learning your skill, yes, please, 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 please. But we got to have supernatural other level of it too. Yes. We, we've we got to have some things happening in the spirit realm that is more than just clever uh, hooks and stuff. And I know you know this, but I just want to remind us, listen, there's something deep God wants to do. There's coming songs that, no prost- that prostitutes are set free when they hear the first verse. You know, there's there are songs that are coming that cancer cannot live in the room because yes. truth has invaded the room. Yes. You know, there's diseases, depression. Look at the level of depression that humanity is yes. walking through right now. My gosh, it's becoming the number one disease in America. Yes. And and it's and basically we're regurgitating that through all these social media things, we're just creating this false delusional sense of humanity. And it's accelerating even more and more. We've got people in this room that you've dealt with deep enough depression and you've rose up out of that. Your jubilee has come to your life. Now carry that song and awaken those that are enslaved. You know, that that's the kind of lyric that we got to start going for. And one of the ways we're going to find that is because our poetry will, give, will begin to come into agreement with our prayer. And, and uh, that's when beauty marries truth, and the world changes. That's precisely what happened. You know who? You know who Sam was? He was a storyteller. He carried his sensitivity, sensitivities and sensibilities to hear the word of the Lord. You ought to hear some of the some of his secret, his behind the scenes secret writing. The imagery that he would speak with would hold hold minds captive. He wound up going to Boston and amongst the, the, the intellectual elites. When he gets to Boston, everybody in America knew they will eat his lunch. All the intellectuals of Boston, that will be his downfall. He goes to Boston. And so they they want to come in, in their arrogance and sarcasm. They're going to come and sit and listen to the Southern preacher. And it wasn't his downfall. Four meetings a day for a month. Thousands sit shoulder to shoulder all the way from the day laborer to the greatest intellects of the of the generation. Wow. All of them sitting there spellbound when Sam would, would speak. And when he returned, they called him. Boston newspaper said, he will return. He is the wonder of the ages. Wow. It's in one of those books up there. The wonder of the ages. Wow. And you know who he was when he'd go home? You know what? Let's... Can we do this? I want to get one of those buses, and I want to take everybody to Sam's house. Yes, we're gonna go. We will go to Sam's house. It's only two and a half hours from here. We'll get a bus. I want everybody that we can possibly get. We're gonna go to Sam's house, and I want you to see who this man was, and just and and see what how Laura kept the house and that kind of stuff. It's it's just incredible. But you know what Sam would do when he would come home? The kids would be waiting for the train whistle to blow down in Cartersville. When they would hear the train, everybody would rush out the door and run all the way downtown to be the first one to get the de- get daddy's kiss. So they did have more kids after the one that died. Yeah, lost yeah, yeah. And uh, any relatives alive today? Uh, yeah, yeah. There are some alive today that see him as an old figure of in history. And uh, and they and they honor it in such a way that they had their family reunion there on the grounds once a year. And, you know what? Kind of, this world just just sort of makes such a big deal about legacy. You know, like you yeah. know, leave leave a legacy. Yeah. And this man probably yeah. left the greatest legacy for us, but 
On so many it levels. It makes me think of Scotland too, you know, because I'm often telling people how we would be in the grave, you know, the yeah. cemetery, and there's a tour going on over here for the Harry Potter, you know, and that yeah. was the big. Yeah. We were standing at, you know, a grave that nobody even knew about, and these were the unsung heroes. Or we're standing by the place where there was no grave. Yeah, plastic and buckets telling, and shingles. Yeah, and you're telling yeah. us about the pe- the people, the bones who lay there. Yeah. And I was just struck by like these are the these are the real heroes, mm-hmm. but the mm-hmm. tours are going on for Harry Potter over yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Like that's the the fame part, and we were yeah. learning a totally different history. And we've got children. We got we got young guys going to David David Lipscomb, and we've got you know our generations coming up. They're not going to get the stuff we're talking about. Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it. Yeah. And so, are we going to keep? Spitting at the world for not remembering, or are we gonna we're gonna talk so loud they have to remember? All right, thanks so much for joining us. Please make sure to connect with us, braveworship.com, and on Facebook and Instagram as well as Brave Worship. You've been listening to the Brave Worship Podcast with Dove Award winning songwriter Chrissy Nordhoff and worship leader and music pastor Mary Beth Dodd. Visit braveworship.com forward slash free song and sign up for the email list to get updates on all the latest Brave Worship events, conferences, and retreats. Plus, get free songs to use in your next worship service, complete with chord chart and track. Also, find out how you can join Chrissy and Mary Beth in person at the next Brave Worship conference. Simply visit braveworship.com forward slash conference to learn more. The times I've grown most as a songwriter are the times I've had mentors showing me the way. If you're looking to grow as a songwriter, we're now accepting applications for our Worship Songwriter Mentorship. Now, it's available only a few times each year. The Worship Songwriter Mentorship is a songwriting intensive that will help you craft impactful worship songs. It's a course created by Dove Award-winning and Grammy-nominated, drumroll here please, (laughs) our founder, pro songwriter Chrissy Nordoff. It's a small group community, and it's led by other songwriters over the course of nine weeks. It's an intensive course and a small group co-writing environment, and that means you'll be added to a special group of about 12 writers, give or take. Each group is led by experienced songwriters, some of them my dear, dear friends, and I've even gotten to lead a group or two. Rachel here, by the way. We love the church, and we love to champion fellow worship songwriters just like yourself. In this mentorship, you'll learn how to write songs for you and your congregation, You'll go deeper in your intimacy with Jesus. You'll get the tools needed to help craft songs more easily and never run out of creative ideas. Okay, I know it sounds too good to be true, but trust me, this course is a game changer. You'll learn how to leverage your unique songwriting personality and connect with other like-minded writers in a meaningful way. Truly, I can't think of another course, group of people, community that has impacted my songwriting the way that this mentorship has. If you're wanting to take the next steps in your songwriting journey, then apply now at the link in our show notes. We hope to see you there.